welcome to our podcast, COP26 and the Journey to Change, a podcast brought to you by Visit Scotland's business events team. COP26 is all about change, the vital and necessary change we need to make not just as individuals, but as communities, countries and continents, the global journey of change to address climate change and its impact. In this podcast, we will be discussing how the issues of change and sustainability affect the business events sector, and also how business events can help bring about the change that we need. We will be questioning what we can learn from COP26 and what our industry can do to change itself. And we'll be examining the COP26 programme themes, including energy, nature, youth and science, to find those crucial intersections where business events can make a difference and help achieve the outcomes of COP26 and the UN Sustainable Development Goals. At Visit Scotland, we believe that business events are more than just meetings. We believe business events can be catalysts for social and economic change. As Scotland welcomes COP26, we welcome you to our podcast. Stay tuned, follow for new updates and enjoy. Welcome everyone, the session's about to begin. Please take your seat and make yourself comfortable. Please ensure your tea and coffee is topped up and feel free to shut down your emails and enjoy the session. Today we will be discussing science and innovation. To help us in our discussions, we are delighted to be joined by John McKenzie, CEO of the Roslyn Innovation Centre, and Professor George Crooks OBE, CEO of the Digital Health and Care Innovation Centre. Our guest host today is Patrick Lamont. George, John, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us today. I just want to dive right in and perhaps you could both tell us a bit more about your roles and about what the innovation centres are and what's their purpose. And John, maybe I can come to you first on that. Well, the day job is CEO and it sounds grand, but it's a master of everything yeah, from doing the dishes to sort of uh, sweeping the floors, perhaps. <laughs> but um, our innovation centre is uh, the gateway, the business gateway to the Easterbush campus, which is the university's space and place. And it's for agri-tech, animal health and aquaculture businesses to, to locate close to science, um, close to the highest concentration of uh, animal-related science in, in Europe, uh, as it happens. And it's part of a sort of a, a vision and a strategy the university has had. Uh, this We're midway through a sort of 25-year plan, investing in a lot of infrastructure, moving the Dick Fett School from the city centre into uh, Easterbush, taking the Roslyn Institute and integrating it with the University of um, Edinburgh and building a new building adjacent to the, the Vet School. And the Innovation Centre is, is straddled in between. So it's at the heart of the campus and we're bringing businesses together with clinicians, together with researchers, together with uh, teachers uh, and research, um, all in the name of sort of animal health um, and indeed one health, which plays into the sort of the, the medical field, the as well as the animal um, medical field and uh, the plant-free health. So the, the day job is really just uh, attracting businesses to collaborate um, with all the stakeholders on site and so that we can maybe 
create the next dolly uh, that comes out um, of, of Easterbush campus uh, uh, through a sort of collaboration, a mix of business and academia uh, and investors and innovators. Dolly, of course, is the superstar of the Roslyn Institute, the world's first ever cloned mammal. Is that right? Yes, I, we're, we're celebrating our birthday every year these days. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good profile. It's a good brand. It's it's known it's known the world over. Yeah, taxi drivers will tell you in Australia and, you know, there's an association there. But we want to move on from that at the same time. But there's a legacy piece there that's important. Um, and, and this next dolly can come in any shape or form. But to me, it's a, it'll be a collaborative project uh, with uh, an external business, a uh, third party working with the university, Wilson Institute or, or whoever. And uh, in the name, you know, the Innovation Centre will be a, a sort of a part of the ecosystem that we're developing there, uh, part of the culture uh, that, that will encourage that sort of uh, random collision to happen that, that will be guts, you know, this next breakthrough uh, moment. Fantastic. I love that, a random collision. You never know what kind of ideas might get hit off. Absolutely. And, and be missing that of late. You know, that's, yeah, the, 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 it's really, um, uh, it's a missing piece. Um, uh, COVID's, you know, uh, certainly been a, a transformational change from us all. Um, but uh, getting together and, and being on site and, and not planning anything, just sort of bumping into each other, talking about the weather um, over a cup of coffee. And, and all of a sudden you find a mutual interest and then it, it leads on to something else. So it'll be good getting these times back. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll probably come back to that kind of theme very shortly. And over to yourself, George, what does you do at the DHI? Yeah, well, we are Scotland's National Innovation Centre for Digital Health and Care. And basically, we do what it says in the tin. Um, we are looking to try to address the societal challenges being experienced by citizens of Scotland uh, across uh, all aspects of health and social care uh, and how we use uh, next generation digital tools and services. Uh, actually to support um, health and well-being. But at the same time as, as doing that, which is the sharp end of delivery, uh, we have also uh, got a second uh, string to our bow, and that is how we create economic advantage for Scotland and for the UK, both in terms of supporting um, Scottish businesses to develop these next-generation services, um, which they can deploy in Scotland to benefit all of us, uh, as Scotland citizens, but equally then um, to turn these products uh, into uh, solutions which can be marketed globally. And at the same time, encourage inward investment, how we bring foreign businesses and other institutions into Scotland to do their R&D, because we have got a, an integrated health and care system in Scotland. We have got a really thriving uh, academic uh, sector across the whole of the country. And we've got a very engaged population. And if you can bring all of these different components together, um, Scotland can really kick above its weight globally. So we are kind of orchestrators uh, in all of that. And as John says, that it's a kind of multi-purpose role, no two days are the same. You're spending most of your time as chief executive giving people permission to do things rather than saying no. It's 90% saying yes and making your, sure your head isn't that far above the parapet is going to get knocked off. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's what innovation is all about. It's about exciting. It's about encouraging. It's about enabling. And to do that, it's all about collaboration. So for us, it's building networks, both within Scotland, within the UK, within Europe, and around the whole world. Because the problems that, whether you're on the animal side or the human side that we're wrestling with, some of them are really wicked challenges. No one individual, one organization 
or even one nation, even the wealthiest nations in the world, don't have all the answers and we have to collaborate together. And so as an innovation center, we are that kind of grit in the oyster that we can bring uh, disparate uh, people, disparate organizations together to innovate in a safe space uh, for the benefit of society. Fantastic. I love that wonderful phrase, the grit in the oyster. God, it's like motherhood in apple pies. <laughs> well, brilliant. So I'm hearing a lot of similarities, of course, because you're both the innovation centers and Scotland has eight, I believe, innovation centers, all with that purpose to bring people together from academia, from industry as well, to find these solutions and from around the world as well. Thinking then a wee bit more about kind of COP26, which is of course ongoing at the moment, science innovation are key drivers in helping to tackle climate change and achieve sustainability in general. I'm curious, what does COP26 taking place, what does it mean to your organisation and how does it impact what you do now and perhaps how you'll do things in the future? I'll come back to yourself, George. Yeah, well, apart from the fact that we're probably just as well that we're working from home and because of the COVID pandemic, because getting into the centre of Glasgow where our headquarters is based I think it's going to be kind of nigh impossible for a few weeks in November. But to answer your question seriously, what it's done is it's really produced a focus within the health and care sector. that climate change is a clear and present danger. It's probably the greatest public health challenge and emergency in the world, even bigger and more significant than the global COVID pandemic has been to date. And people don't recognise that. The other thing it's allowed us to do is to actually focus on what is the healthcare contribution towards CO2 production and greenhouse gas production. And everybody has thought, well, actually, it's someone else's problems. It's about heavy industry. It's about uh, air travel. That's where the climate is being damaged. But healthcare can produce in the most evolved uh, societies about 12% of CO2. For example, in the US, it's around about that. In Europe and in Scotland, it's about 6%. And even in the emerging uh, economies in in, in Africa and and Asia and so on, um, 5, 4% to 5%. So we're not insignificant in our contribution towards CO2 production. So allowing us to begin to take stock about not only how do we deliver sustainable health and care services, into the future as far as day-to-day clinical provision, but how the way we design our infrastructure, our buildings, how we look at our supply chains and the products we use. Um, Because the one thing that COVID will have brought to everybody's attention, uh, particularly in the early days, is when we talk about personal protective equipment, all single-use disposable plastics. Now, we've had a huge focus on how did we source it? How did we buy millions of gowns, gloves, and masks? No one's actually thought about how do we dispose of them? So these issues are now, people are beginning to talk about them. People are beginning to think about them. Um, So for us, it's become a real enabler for us to have conversations that in the past, people were always too busy to have. Mm that it's now um, okay to have those conversations. In fact, it's on trend to have those conversations. So from our point of view is we need to take the novelty aspect away from it and embed it within business as usual practice. And innovation is a good place to hardwire it into our thinking. That's fantastic. I I suppose it's almost kind of like the coffee cup moment where the world kind of had a moment where they identified that disposable coffee cups, the millions being generated every day was no longer acceptable and it's the same 
perhaps thought coming towards PPE now. It can't go on that way. Coming across to yourself, then, John, kind of the same question. What does COP mean for the Rosen Institute? Well, I think for society, it's important, you know, that we, we shine a light on the subject and uh, politically, um, economically, you know, everybody's coming to town, uh, Glasgow town. And yes, there's going to be the congestion. The streets will be packed. There'll, there'll be cars. There'll be uh, all, all sorts of things that um, will be contributing to carbon emissions and the like. But for, for us, it's important as an organisation where they are, the University of Edinburgh has got a number of projects and and people that will be involved. I've got another hat that I wear as well, which I, I chair the, the AAA Industry Leadership Group, which is the Animal Health, Agritech and, and Aquaculture. And you know we will be represented through the, the Life Sciences Scotland um, uh, and, and various initiatives there. So it's it's basically, it's, it's lending a voice to each uh, and, and all our respective day jobs that uh, we're, we're trying to contribute towards this sort of uh, net zero target that, that, that we're all being challenged with. Uh, I, I think the pandemic that we've just had, there's been a great response uh, in the speeds uh, and action, uh, governments, politicians, society uh, at large to, to this sort of troubles. If we can apply that same urgency and, and rapid response to climate change, then I think we'll be all better off for it. So it's going to bring everybody to town and, you know, there'll be discussion, there'll be education, um, there'll be learning, and hopefully it'll lead to the, the change be behaviour. A word George mentioned there, sustainable. I, th I think we, we need to be speaking in, the, in these terms much more often, you know, what we do and how we do it so that it does it does sustain, sustain for what you're doing, sustain for the planet. Our organisation will, will be tuning in, absolutely there myself can on the day and there'll be various sessions and and we're, we're trying to put sort of animal health livestock farming as a contributor to um carbon emissions yes greenhouse gases but you know trying to mitigate that uh, and it's not going to happen overnight you know we've had centuries of of farmers and, and the industrial age you know has, has really been the slow beginnings to, to to where we're at and and we're into sort of industry 4.0 so i think this 4.0 for life sciences for uh, medical devices. Uh, we have to embrace it in a way that there is a sustainable nature to it. So th there are solutions in innovating, um, but there are unintended consequences as well. So it's getting that, that kind of balance right. So basically, you know, the it'll be in the headlines. Um, we'll be living with it daily for uh, a, a few intense weeks. It can shine a light on the problems um, and moreover, you know, hopefully come up with some solutions. Um, yes, politically, and, and that's a a bigger challenge than, than, than uh, but leave it for the politicians perhaps. But for society and, and, and generations, younger generations and generations to come, I think they're really sort of grappling with it. When I look at um, the day job and, and some of the businesses and some of the, the new spin outs and startups that are coming through, there's a much more profit for purpose now. We need profit. That's a sustainability argument again, but for purpose. So they're, they're looking at their their, their net contribution to society, to the planet, to health. Um, and I think there's a sort of a, a more conscious consumerism that's uh, appearing as well. You know, we, we're all kind of reflecting on what we're buying, how we're buying it, how often, uh, where it's been sourced. Um, and food security is, is is a big play that it's one of our natural assets that we work at uh, at Easterbush. So the future of food, you know, um, how it's produced, uh, where it comes from, the circular economy, um, you know, that can we produce within our own borders and uh, and consume within our, our own borders, you know, go back to maybe pre-globalisation, which has been the Pandora's box, uh, the genie's out of the bottle, uh, if you like, in terms of uh, all, the, all the metaphors. Uh, we're not going to put it back 
but we can actually ad address some of the um, the opportunities that uh, the COP26 can and will present. And I think certainly younger generation uh, are and, uh, embracing that much more. And, and we've all got a responsibility to do our, our own little bit. And, you know, farming often gets sort of the bad press, you know, the, the, the farting, the, the burping of uh, <laughs> our cows um, and livestock uh, contribute to. But, you know, we're mitigating that all the time. And uh, yes, it's eating less meat. It's it's not eating meat. Yeah, it's not the answer either. But, you know, it's just a, a sense of proportion and balance. So, so I, I think COP26 is going to put, you know, um, this debate and discussion on, on, and people's hearts and minds and, and our own organizations will do our bits um in our niche areas to to try and try and address and and, and support the the cause yeah i like that idea of um you know business for purpose and profit for purpose which puts me in the mind of a scottish company who i believe were taking um the byproduct from the shellfish industry the shells themselves which aren't can't be eaten and they were turning those i think you know reducing them down and then extracting certain um of the constituent parts of my science is escaping me and then they're able to turn that into a plastic or a plastic kind of substitute and that way that doesn't get wasted and we've got biodegradable plastic coming online so things like that are very exciting and great to see happening in scotland as well scotland's rife with these innovations um and you know there's a lot bubbling under and of course they need funding and they need investment uh, to keep them going so they can actually productize these innovations and uh, but that's what we're about George and myself you know we're, we're you know we're entrepreneur enablers we're, we're we're trying to sort of get these breakthrough discoveries um uh, and so that they they go out and, and and have a positive impact um not just for those that are doing it and in, in terms of sustaining the business but you know just just for society in general so we've got a burgeoning insect sector building in an Easter bush and it's right. nothing strategic about it it's just sort of come about and um it's you know there's a yak factor in in, in insects but you know in my day we will be eating you know um uh, cricket crisps uh, it's, it's happening now I mean billions uh, across the world are already eating you know insects you know, as part of their, their their daily diets we just have to sort of get across that but if we get it into the food chain fish foods uh, pet food then you know it, it's it, there's that circular nature of it you know the um the, the feed off the waste um that we produce and you know it's high in protein and nutritional value so if that goes back into the food chain then great so that's happening around us and people are taking bold and brave steps because your niche areas you're the edge of the edge of a market you know so it's not here and now but i think we're getting much more conscious investment as well impact investment uh, and it's looking at a sort of a, a longer term view as well in terms of a return on that investment which has to be yes financial but but also more you know impactful um as well so scotland is a fascinating place for for lots of ideas and opportunities and i, I see them day in day out so i'm quite excited that, that scotland and that, that can play its part not just hosting cop 26 but you know in in future innovations that's going to be positive fantastic well i think it's uh, time to take a break and head out for a coffee or a tea indeed Please make your way to the foyer, where tea and coffee will be waiting for you. We'll see you back here soon. Don't be late. We won't wait for you. George, are you a tea or a coffee drinker? What do you prefer to have when you're on your break at a conference? Well, I must confess it's uh, coffee for me uh, every time. Uh, a, it keeps me awake. And B, I think it gives me a wee bit of that street cred. 
How about yourself, John? Historically, I've been known as a tea genie. Yes, uh, <laughs> teased in my younger days. Um, but yeah, I do need my um, caffeine shot, uh, and, and invariably, a, a americano gives me the, the get up and go for the rest of the day. So um, I'm craving that at the moment. I have to say, not to mention the cred. I, absolutely, yes. <laughs> we have been as we've been doing the podcast. You know, we're always we're keeping a tally of if it's tea or coffee drinks, and I think it's coffee by a mile right? at this yes, stage. Yeah. yeah. Do you prefer the drinks receptions or an intimate dinner when you're at events? Do you prefer to kind of take people off into a room and get that deep conversation or the, the glitz of a nice drinks reception with a few hundred people? For me, it's, it's, the, it's the latter. Yeah, both. Yeah, um, one leads to the other, if you like. So, you, you, you know, if I was going to pick and choose, yeah, I would go for the latter. You know, that crowd, that buzz, you know, that's, buzz. that's just around you and, and everybody deep in conversation and um, uh, including yourself and... Um, a little bit of um, uh, wine or, or, or beer helps the, the the conversation, shall we say? It um, can do yeah, in many ways. So I'm, I'm not ashamed uh, to admit that. And um, yeah, it's just just the the atmosphere. Yeah, you, you need to enjoy what you're doing. You know, um, yeah, we're all busy people and work hard. And you know, yeah, you, you have to get you know a, a little bit of enjoyment out of what you're doing and be happy with what you're doing. And, and events like that certainly, um, you know, uh, quite attractive. Keep me. You, you can do when that, that tray of champagne walks past again. You're like, oh well. Look, when yeah, in Rome, I just been polite, of course. You know, yeah. I, I need a glass <laughs> in my hand. <laughs> How about yourself, George? Yeah, I must confess, I prefer the the, the bigger dues. Um, a because usually I find myself sitting at dinner next to the one person <laughs> you don't actually want to be sitting next to, who is a complete bore who talks <laughs> about family uh, for an hour and a half uh, interminably. But no, I mean, uh, like John, getting the buzz in the reception where there's a lot of background noise. If you can't get someone's attention within two or three minutes and actually have the meaningful part of your conversation within the first five or ten, and then usually arrange a follow-up and more focused conversation at a later date, even after the event is finished, that's really how I find that, that I work best. And then I can move to a different group, have another conversation, because you can sometimes get three or four opportunities out of one hour networking event by working in that way. If you're sitting uh, at a dinner table, uh, unless you're doing the kind of slightly and full stage managed at every course, pick up your glass and take two, two steps <laughs> to the left hand side. I usually find I go from one bore to someone <laughs> who's even worse than the one I was with before. It may just be me in my face. I try <laughs> tracks that. So I'd rather be master of my own destiny and be able to walk around a crowded room and select who I uh, have a conversation with. Master of your own destiny. I find if I'm at one of those orchestrated kind of dinners, you find yourself looking two places to the right and uh, almost half listening and thinking, what am I going to be talking about next? Because <laughs> you know it's coming. Exactly. <laughs> There's certainly a downside, isn't there? You know, it's not all rosy. You know, you can get stuck with somebody that, and that there's nothing in common. And uh, as you say, there's uh, these stony silences. But uh, invariably, you move on. Um, and, and and what you find is that you, you, one conversation with one person, you know, it, it triggers something, you know, um, and at least another introduction, you, you know, and then then that starts to drill down into the sort of the, the mutual subject matter that uh, actually there's something in this, you know, and we should follow this up. Um, so yeah, yeah, it, it has to start with that 
you know, kind of serendipitous moments uh, to ultimately lead to, to you know, a piece of business that, that comes out um, or more um, uh, from, from from the conversation. Uh, and uh, I think when, when, when everybody's in that sort of mood and, um, you know, it happens naturally, you know, yeah. uh, without, you know, without trying too hard, you know, uh, so you can be relaxed and, and let it happen uh, and people will find you uh, as well as you can go looking. Absolutely. Well, with that and with that bell, I think we're heading back into session. See you there. The next session is about to begin. Please make your way back to the auditorium. My next kind of question is that the sciences are, of course, important to business events, especially in Scotland, where every year over 50% of the association events we host are in the life sciences. And it's the knowledge and expertise that you've both mentioned in the institutions like yours that enable Scotland to attract these events here. But looking at it from your perspective, how do you view business events? Do you see them as an opportunity to act as a driver of change and innovation? Are they important to you in your strategy and your thinking? Yeah, absolutely. I'm a natural networker. So, you know, you you like people, you want to engage with people. So, yeah, I've missed that uh, this past 18 months. And and we've had a plethora of of virtual conferences. uh, and, And it's been great, you know, that you can actually reach far and wide uh, and take your message uh, to the other side of the world w- without the impact of, of flying over and all the, you know, the, the consequences that that does. But, you know, there's a balance we need to strike in this. You know, we can't not have get togethers. People need to be in the, the same room. Um, and, you know, this random collision I, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, you have to sort of build that trust and relationship. You don't get that a- across a sort of a, a Zoom call. Um, and you can sort of deeper dive into sort of the subject matter. Um, and, you, you know, yeah, it's all very well having great ideas, but yeah, if there's no chemistry there, they, you know, then it's going to come down and it's going to fall uh, down the line. So if you can build that trust um, from the get-go, it, it just means you get more chance of success of something, uh, a piece of collaboration coming off. George said earlier, you know, you, you can't do things in isolation. We're not going to, you know, come up with all these solutions uh, on our own. We need to sort of reach out and, and find that sort of mutual strategic alignment that um, builds a case, builds a project um, that uh, innovation comes about. Um, you just need people in the room. Uh, that dynamic, you know, the, so the body language um, that, you, that you can read and the randomness, you know, that's, that, that you can present, you know, uh, over the sort of the water cooler moment, which is a total missing piece this past 18 months. Um, and, and, you know, a place like my own um Roslyn Innovation Centre, it's it's got people, you know, we're mixing uh, and it's open plan, it's, um, it's co-location. So you, you just don't have that chance, that serendipity that uh, of meetings of minds uh, and, and come up with something. So business events in person, we have to get back to that. And um, COP26 is sending a strong signal in that respect. So there, there's no denying that, you know, uh, we're, we're back. Uh, I think there's a there's room and place for for, for the virtual uh, world. Absolutely. It's it's a way of doing business uh, more efficiently, more productively. Um, and as I say, you can reach far and wide. You know, you can really communicate. But, you know, having people in the room, I think you, you've, there's more chance of, of things happening um, faster, if you like, uh, if, if at all. Um, and I think you can develop that relationship, uh, which which is really important that you can't quite get across uh, the, the screen. At the end of the day, you know, the, the virtual, you're, you're still sitting at home, you know, and it's hard. You, we're all getting zoomed out in that respect. There's a balance to be struck here. I, I hope we can find it. We're, we're, we're all looking for it at the moment. Um, 
uh, not least with the university. You know, it's it's looking at a sort of a hybrid working policy. It's now it's and it's doing some sort of pilot uh, cases and and some consultations, uh, and it'll be different for everybody. Um, but a, the business events absolutely has to return, you know, if only for the, the, the business tourism, you know, the spending power, um, uh, the local businesses that are going to benefit. Because if you, if you go to a, a conference, it, invariably you're, you're, you may be taking a partner or, or a family and, and you're, you're, you're doing a bit of a holiday before and after. Uh, you can sort of build around that. So the, all that is kind of missing without the in, in-person events. So we, we have to get back to that. Um, but maybe... Strike that balance. Yeah, we don't have to do so many so often, perhaps, but you know, manage them. Um, this sustainable business tourism is is as important uh, a word uh, to use in in that context as any other. You know, we have to get that balance right, and yeah, we'll just have to sort of try harder, and, and we'll find it. I hope. Yeah, it's a, it's a, perhaps it's going to become uh, quality rather than quantity, and. I think what you're saying there, the Zoom meetings, we've all we've all been in lots of them, and you just don't have that kind of that same that same spark. And I can tell you actually that 40% of delegates to Scotland do extend their stay for an average of three days before and after. So interesting. There's definitely yes. an impact there. How about yourself, George? Have you become zoomed out in the past 18 months? You've got to be very careful. You're asking me that, that we actually uh, do digital innovation. Um, this is this is my world that you are you're inhabiting. <laughs> um, so no, um, I I haven't. But I think the important thing um, that we have to realise is that we're not that sophisticated as a species, and as human beings, that we do need uh, close physical contact. Uh, and although putting video on top of voice. Uh, does add something because you can see some of the body language. Being in the same physical location is actually quite important. Uh, now, for me, the thing about Zoom meetings, they are very good. They're very, very um, convenient. Um, and they're good for bringing people from uh, all across the globe together in one place. But the issue is you never, I suspect, have the full attention of delegates at online events because the vast majority of us including myself, uh, usually after the first 15 minutes, start to answer the emails, start to do other things. So your attention is not fully uh, on the presenter or the message that's being transmitted. And also, and equally important, is what happens outside the main plenary sessions. It's about the informal networking. It is about the fact that particularly in, in our area, in life sciences, you've got very busy people who are usually pulled in five or six or seven or 20 different directions who actually have to commit one, two or three days of their time to focus on a specific topic on a set um, number of challenges or opportunities. That's unique. And also having the kind of venues that we have in Scotland, which are conducive to these types of events, which can mix both hard scientific focus, uh, informal networking, with the ability to go away for an hour or two uh, and also uh, go out, uh, do a bit of sightseeing, a very pleasant um, meal and so on and so forth, um, can create opportunities that you don't get um, in the virtual world. And the other thing is, it's not just about knowledge exchange. Um, I was speaking to somebody from a World Health Organization who was saying that the other thing about events and face-to-face -face events is that if you're wrestling with difficult challenges, 
It is the conversation over the cup of coffee that brokers the breakthrough. It's not the formal, somewhat stilted discussions you have in the virtual online meeting where I will speak, then someone else will speak. And it's semi-scripted and semi-structured. It's that informality and the fact that someone comes up and joins in the conversation, which, which actually might be unwelcome, but it actually creates a greater bond between the two people uh, who were having the initial conversation who may have been coming from a different different side uh, of, of, of a fence. It actually brings them together. So it's all of these hidden things that get packaged up in face-to-face events that we have been missing that we do need to get back to on a on a selective basis and there's no better place in scotland to have those conversations i think fantastic yeah i really love what you've both been saying there about the um the, the soft power most of events it's not so much about the, the plenary session but those conversations those connections who you bump into and obviously as the promoter of business events in scotland that's something that we do we do argue for and it's great to hear it come from both of you in that in that particular way John, you yourself have helped co-create Scotland's first event dedicated to animal health, agritech and agriculture, the AAA. Why did you decide to postpone the inaugural event um, to next year rather not for a virtual event? And what is your ambition for the future of this event? Um, it was a decision. It was disappointing to have to take it, but it was a no-brainer. It was it was right in the sort of the, the epicentre of the of the pandemic. Um None of us knew how long this was going to go and then the certainty around it. Uh, and so we ended up moving it a couple of times, basically. It was important to us as certainly you know, founders of this event, myself and Lawrence and the organising committee that we've built around us, is, is that this was a physical event for all the right reasons that George and myself have kind of alluded to there. Um, and a, a virtual one just wouldn't have worked. Um, and it wasn't the driver for us in the first place. Um, we, we really needed that physicality to this. And, and whilst the, the tools uh, and the medium is out there that you can actually have a hybrid now, uh, I, I accept that, we're still holding out for an in-person event, f- again, for all the reasons that we, we've, we've kind of mooted. But it, the, the strength of feeling there is because um, we feel, well, we're bringing innovators, entrepreneurs, investors, academics from across the world and indeed in Scotland, to come together uh, and showcase Scotland to everybody, uh, these people, uh, and to itself, uh, because AAA is is is, is kind of a, a sector that uh, we're, we're kind of relaunching. The brand was around for a while, but it was really, really not a handle anybody was getting uh, a hold of, and it was hard to get heard against some of the, the big pharma uh, and the medical devices in terms of life sciences in Scotland. So we've created this sort of handle and this brand uh, an A3 and, and trying to put ourselves on the map. We've got great international assets that we need to showcase and not just the rest of the world, but to ourselves. So uh, we've mobilised ourselves. It's a, it's a not-for-profit endeavour. Um, so uh, our, our hope is that the, the surplus that we're going to create from this event uh, will contribute towards the next event. So we can have it maybe every two years, perhaps, uh, you know, in terms of this quality versus quantity thing. So uh, we've got grand hopes uh, and very excited that uh, April 27th, uh, 26th and 27th is coming up fast. We're going to have tours before and after uh, as well. And it's going to be a pan-Scotland thing based and hosted in, in Edinburgh. 
Pollock Halls, um, um, the university's uh, Edinburgh First Accommodation Services, and then back to the Playfair Library and, uh, and, and Old College at the university as well. But it's a pan-Scotland kind of programme, and we're going to have tours to Oban, um, to, to Inverness, to Stirling, to Dundee, uh, as well as out to Easterbush Campus as well. So the physicality is, is absolutely important. We can't do these tours, facilitate these tours uh, virtually online uh, without too much great travel, time, money, uh, of which we, we we didn't have. This is you know a, a kind of volunteering effort with all the sort of the, the stakeholders coming together uh, as one here. So uh, the, the physicality is important, and, and but not least because um, you know Scotland's good at innovating. You know historically, you know we've 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 come up with many inventions. You know penicillin and TV, yeah, yeah, to name but a few. Um, Dolly, Dolly, uh, yeah, know, of course. Let, let's let's plug Dolly again. We're not always great at commercialising them, making money out of them. But I think it's beyond making money now. It's profit with purpose. Um, and I think Scotland's DNA lends itself to that. Um, there's a personality in Scotland uh, that we want to get across at this event. And, and it'll come from the hospitality, absolutely. You know, uh, the Scottishness, the, the the tartan and the whiskey and, and the haggis. You know, I'm sure we'll we'll work that as much as, as any uh, in terms of the networking. But we want to leave a memorable experience and, and build lasting relationships so that collaboration can go forward on shared values and on trust. Uh, and if we get people in the, in the room, you know, <clears throat> they'll find each other. And we'll have a number of speakers and uh, presenters that will, will inspire, obviously, on the day. And our theme, um, surprise, surprise, is transition to net zero. You know, and, you know, we're probably two years later in, in hosting the event uh, and might necessarily be a wee bit behind the curve in terms of the message. But, you know, we were certainly ahead of the curve in terms of trying to put this on, on the, uh, the agenda on people's people's minds. And we'll just feed off COP26 and the follow up. So uh, we're ex very excited that we're finally coming around in April. Uh, there's no reason to think that it's not going to happen. You know, if, if we can get 26,000 in Glasgow, we can certainly get uh, 330 people in Edinburgh. So so it's not a, a huge event, um, it's proportionate, but uh, it needs to be in person, absolutely. And then the spin-offs from that, um, as I say, the, the extended stays, the, the, the economic impact in the, in the, in the businesses, uh, uh, but the long lasting relationships so that, you know, um, it's not just a piece of work or a project that can come out of, of, of chat over a beer or, or whatever it is. It's the follow on to that. You don't know, um, and uh, you know, luck has to play its part in timing. But you know, uh, bringing people together, I think, is important because the Scottishness can come out, and so we value that, uh, and and we're holding out for that, and and we will resist overtures to do a hybrid as well because I think that that's going to sort of break the days up in a way that it'll distract us I think um, and we want people here and you know people just need to get their tickets so they're going to miss out Absolutely it was interesting that you mentioned um, Stirling, Oban and Dundee which lends me to think the Scottish Aquaculture Innovation Centre Scottish Association for Marine Science and Oban and the James Hutton in Dundee? A absolutely they're all stakeholders to the, this A3 conference and they are all sites uh, that we're planning to visit. Uh, in fact, with respect, I'll correct you. It's the Sustainable uh, Aquaculture oh, Innovation Centre. So there's a case in point. You know, it's gone from Scottish, uh, very subtle but very significant change. Sustainable Aquaculture Innovation ah, right, Centre. Okay. So, so, and that's you know, uh, that's all part of the sort of evolution, the iteration uh, that goes on there. But it's right on message. And so, yes, we'll we'll organise uh, bus tours and and we'll look after 
uh, our delegates. You know, we, we will chaperone them. And, and again, that Scottishness, that personality will, will, will shine through. And I, I don't doubt will lead to new products and services uh, yeah. in the animal uh, health, agri-tech and agriculture sectors yeah. because we'll have a, a cross-section of people um, and mix uh, on the day. All right, but fantastic to hear that, you know, the innovation centres are collaborating in that way. And George, is that something that you experience in your own work? You know, do you do you look to bring people into Scotland to kind of show them the work that you do? Oh, yes, we absolutely do. I mean, clearly we're involved um, in a lot of cutting-edge work uh, involving both academics and, and those in, in health and care within Scotland, but particularly across Europe and further afield. Uh, we have people who come uh, to see what we're doing here because we're at the cutting edge of a number of uh, medical interventions. Um, and a PowerPoint presentation only takes you so far. Um, you know, for people, particularly when we're looking at, at, at Policymakers, um, the number of government uh, delegations we were getting, or executive teams from large hospital groups from other parts of the world coming um, to see services being delivered, to talk to the people who are actually delivering them. And actually, to John's point, also talking to the patients who are in receipt of those services can de risk. Uh, significant investments in other healthcare systems. And everybody's used to seeing, as I said earlier, that glitzy PowerPoint presentation and getting the sales pitch about how wonderful things are, particularly in the technology world. As you know, it's famous for uh, promising a huge amount and then not actually delivering. When you press go, the digital product doesn't seem to work or doesn't seem to work in the way you think it should work. Usually that's actually because um, health and care providers are usually hopeless at actually specifying what they want, as opposed <laughs> to being a problem with the technology. But it's all those things. It's only when you speak to those who are actually delivering the service or in receipt of the service or been involved in the planning and have got the scars on their backs from the implementation that you can actually de-risk that whole process. And that's, again, as John had said earlier, it's about building relationships. And with building a relationship, you build trust. You build trust, you build credibility. And Scotland, we are we are known as people who tend to hide our light under a bushel a lot of the times. We we under-promise and we over-deliver um, as a nation. Um, and that's got a, a downside when you're trying to promote the country. But on the other hand, it's quite a positive attribute uh, to have when you're going out there globally uh, and basically saying to people, why should you come to Scotland? Why should you partner and collaborate with us as opposed to going to West Coast, USA, and so on and so forth? Um, so we've got a great story to tell. Um, we need to be a bit smarter uh, in how we engage in doing that. And bringing people to experience Scotland in the round is a really important way of us telling our story and showcasing what we do and what we can do. Fantastic. And it's, it's really great to hear you both saying about bringing people to Scotland, that physical connection, about building connections and getting to know people and building trust. And that's absolutely the way forwards. Thank you both very much for your time, gentlemen. It's been absolutely brilliant to hear your views and we look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Patrick. This brings our session to a close. We hope you've enjoyed it and will join us again next time when we'll be discussing transport. Thank you.
thank you for attending today's session. See you soon.